The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning, Parkview. My name is Doug Fern, one of the pastors here on staff. And I get the privilege of being able to speak to you from God's Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to open them. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read 14 through 17. So uh, you can go ahead and get those out. If you don't have them, the words will be on the screen so you can follow along. Um, as, as John mentioned, we are in the middle of a series here at Parkview called We Believe. And our hope with this series is to be able to lay the foundation and, and, and be able to make it very clear what we as a people believe um, about the most important things. And so we've talked about who God is. Um, we've talked about who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. I believe last week, Pastor Schillinger talked to you guys about um, who we are according to scriptures. Um, and this week, we're going to turn our attention to this book, to the Bible. And we're going we're to try to figure out exactly um, what the Bible is and why we should care about it. Okay, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come before you this morning, and as we open your word, Father, um, I pray that your spirit would be in this place, that it would fill this place, that it would fill me, Lord, and that your truth would be proclaimed and that it would do so with clarity, Father. Um, our, our prayer is that as we leave here this morning, that we would understand um, the gift that you have given us and your written word, Lord, and that our hearts would find it to be desired more than gold and even much fine gold. And that as we read it, we would see that it's sweeter also than honey, even the drippings from the honeycomb, Father. Lord, I pray that this book, Lord, um, that you would drive your people this week, Father, into your book. And we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, one of the things I do on staff here, one of the things, the way I spend a lot of my time is down at Faith Academy. And for those of you who may not have heard of Faith Academy, Faith Academy is a school that we have the southeast side of town. It's a small, private Christian school. And the, the vision, the mission of this school is to be able to take a Christ-centered education and to make it affordable to those who would otherwise not be able to afford it even in their wildest dreams. And so this is our fourth year in operation down here. We started with kindergarten and first grade, and each year we've added another classroom. And so this year we, we hired a fourth grade teacher, and, and we moved the third graders for last year up into fourth grade, and we brought in a whole new kindergarten class, and then we sprinkled in the other classes a few new students as well. And so we have about 62 students. We have 62 students in the school this year, and we are seeing just in the first couple of months, God do some awesome things. I'm told in education that in the first week or two of school is kind of a honeymoon period where the, 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 the students are kind of getting used to their setting and their teachers and, and things are kind of low key. And, and for the first time this year, we actually experienced that. Like the first day of school, I was at my desk and that had never happened before. And I was just sitting there. I was like, 
what am I supposed to do now, you know? Because usually there's something that's happening, something unpredictable, new families, whatever. But um, we're seeing God do some awesome things. One of the things that we do at the beginning of every year is something very similar to what we as a church are doing right now. We take our students at the beginning from the first week, uh, for the first four weeks of school, and we walk them through the, the most essential things that they need to know. Who God is, what the Bible is, who Jesus is, who we are, why we need him. Okay, we take every year the exact same thing. We, we bring this back in front of the students and we remind them of these, these glorious, awesome truths. And I can remember the first year that we did this. It was the week that we were talking about God's word, about the Bible. And, and I stood up there and there was at the first, you know, first day of school, there was only 12 kids in the school. There were six first graders and six kindergartners. And I stood up there and I, I held the Bible in my hand. And I said, you know, you guys are going to, as kindergartners and first graders, you guys have the opportunity this year to learn how to to read. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. And I said, you're going to walk around the school and you're going to see books in the classroom. You're going to go into the library. There's going to be books. And you, by the end of the year, there are going to be some of these books you are going to be able to read. I held a really big book in my hand. I said, like this book, some of you could read this book by the end of the year. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Right? And then I held the Bible and I said, but of all the books, of all the books in this school, not just in this school, but in our city, in our entire world, there is no more important book than the Bible. The Bible is the most important book. And so I went through, in about 10 minutes, reasons, things about this book that make it so special. The way it was written, who wrote it, what we learn about it, the stories, the truth that it reveals, went on and on and on. And they're all just like, oh my goodness, the Bible amazing. And I can remember after that, we finished chapel, and we were, about an hour or so went by, and we we're sitting at the desk that the students walked by as they walked on the way out to, to, the, to the recess, for, to the playground for recess. And I was sitting there with a, with a friend who was working there, and we we're at the desk, and the Bible was just, was just kind of laying open there like that. And there was a couple kindergartners that were walking by. Make sure I don't fall off here. They were walking by, and one of them goes, oh, he's reading the Bible. And the other kindergartner was like, oh my goodness, it's amazing. He's got the Bible. I don't know if you can hear me or not, but that's what they were saying. And me and my friend were sitting there, and we're like, we're like, it's actually working. And they're like, this is good. Keep it up. Keep it up. All right, see how long we can keep this going. So it was really encouraging. But every year we do that, and we do it for a reason, to remind them, not to trick them or to fool them or to dupe them, but to remind them because they need reminded of how awesome and amazing, unique, and special this book is. This book, we tell them, and I'm telling you this morning, is like no book. I think this weekend or this week, we're doing the Iowa City, what's it called, book festival or something like that, and there's all kinds of authors that are flooding our town, people from around the world coming here, public readings. You can go downtown in the Ped Mall and see book stands, bookshops set up. You can look at awesome books, good books, but there is no book like this book. This book is no ordinary book. And we, year after year, day after day, need to be reminded of that truth. This book is not to be treated like any other book. This book is not to be read like any other book. This book is like no other book. And in this passage in 2 Timothy, that is exactly what Paul is doing with Timothy. 
He's at the end of his ministry. Paul is at the end of his life, and he's encouraging this young man who he's loved, he's invested, he's taught, he's modeled what Scripture looks like for this young man. He's poured his life into Timothy. And now at the end of Paul's life, and at the beginning of, of Timothy's ministry, he's reminding him of how important this book is and why Timothy should stay in this book. Folks, we too need to be reminded of this truth. Not just today. Not just when we do a We Believe series as a church. We need a continual reminder of the amazing attributes of this book that make it a book that sits at the top of the shelf. A book like no other. There's two reasons why we picked this passage. Why I picked this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. The first reason is because there are there is no section in Scripture, brief section in Scripture, which speaks with such clarity as to the truths of this book, what makes it special and why we should read it. This is the flagship passage for this topic, the Scriptures, the Bible, right? Absolute clarity. Anybody who wants to talk about God's Word, this is the verse that they go to. It does not reveal necessarily anything new that Scripture doesn't confirm throughout it, but it is the, it's famous for this topic. It's the first reason. The second reason is because the emphasis that Paul places with Timothy to continue in the Scriptures, to stay true to this word. What he does in the chapters before is he, 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 he draws this contrast. He shows Timothy there are men who will walk away from this book. There are men who will abandon their faith, who will do things that will bring, that will, that will disrespect this book and our God. You, Timothy, however, continue in what you've been taught from a young age. Continue in this book. Paul's emphasis on remaining in is an emphasis that we must have this morning. Our focus this morning will be primarily in verses 16 and 17. In these verses, Paul is not telling Timothy something that he does already know. He knows these truths. He's reminding them of these truths. Why is he reminding Timothy of these truths? Because these truths, this book is absolutely vital for Timothy's life and for his ministry. And so he's reminding him of these truths. Because everything else in Timothy's world, everything else in the culture that Timothy finds his home, everything else is pulling him out of the book. The very air that Timothy breathes is toxic to this book. Everything is pulling him and is attacking the authority, the inerrancy, the relevancy of this book in Timothy's life. And folks, everywhere we turn, we see the same thing. Everywhere we turn, the very air we breathe is toxic as well. And we too must be reminded and encouraged in these truths this morning. In verses 16 and 17, Paul gives Timothy essentially three reasons why he should stay in the book. Three reasons why Timothy should do it. The first is because of the authority of this book. The second is because of the usefulness of this book. And the third is because of the sufficiency of the book. So the first is the authority of the book. We see this in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations translate this term, breathed out by God, as um, 
in, in a different word. And last week I was giving this message down at the East Campus, and on my way to church, it was kind of nice. It starts at 10.30, and so I got to sleep in just a little bit. It's kind of nice. And on my way down Clinton, I stopped at Starbucks on Clinton, and I was getting Starbucks, driving out, headed to the east side, and all of a sudden um, I looked up at the corner of Clinton and Burlington, and I saw that the, the Clinton, perhaps you haven't known this, but Clinton Street has been renamed. Just for the year, just a temporary name change. Anybody know what the name of Clinton Street is this year? Inspiration Avenue. Absolutely right. Inspiration Avenue. It's part of a kind of a collaboration with the university and the city to, to commemorate, to remember just the flood recovery efforts as we open Hancher and the Voxman building, how far our community has come since the flood. Inspiration. I believe the theme this year at the university is inspire, right? It's supposed to to encourage us, to inspire us, right? And that's not the way this word is being used here. It's, it's being used in a very different sense. Inspiration, the God's word, all of scripture is inspired. It is breathed out, theonustos. The very breath of God is leaving its imprint in this book. These words are God's sovereign exhalings. He breathes in the same way he breathed life into Adam. He, through this book, gives new life to us through his very words, very words of God. The first thing that we have to understand about the authority of God's word is that every word equals God's word. Every word in this book equals God's word. This is true of the Old Testament, of the Old Testament. And Timothy, um, he is referring, he says, all of scripture, this word graphe is referring to the word the Old Testament. He's, all, all Timothy has right now, remember, he doesn't have the gospels. He doesn't have the epistles. He doesn't have the New Testament in his hand. He has the Old Testament. And so when Paul is reminding him that every word, all of scripture is breathed out by God, he is specifically referring to the Old Testament. And if you just pick up the Old Testament, you go through there and time and time again, hundreds of times, you will see the phrase, thus says the, thus says the Lord. And throughout every, every word in that Old Testament, those are God's Words. We also believe this to be true of the New Testament, right? When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew, he stands up there and he gives what becomes the most famous sermon ever to be uh, written down. And after he gives his sermon, we read this in Matthew seven twenty nine. After the Sermon on the Mount, we read verse twenty eight and twenty nine. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The very folks who, who, whose words Jesus' ears were falling on as they heard him preach, as they heard him teach, they knew by listening to his words, by hearing, sitting under his voice, that there was something different about this Jesus. There was something different about this rabbi, this teacher, and they said he taught with authority. He taught with an authority that nobody else could teach with. Everybody else recognized that there was something different about Jesus in the way that he taught. He taught with authority. Jesus says this about his own words as well in John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus here is putting his words on par with the Old Testament, with God's words. The words I'm saying to you are God's words very words. Jesus himself declares that his words are God's words. Then in John 16, a few chapters later, verses 12 and 13, we read this. I still have many things to say to you. There more will be, to, will be said. 
is what he's telling his disciples. But you cannot bear them now. He's going to wait to reveal these things. When the spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit would come after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. He would give us his Spirit, and his Spirit would finish writing this book through his apostles. More was to come. The apostles themselves understood this to be true. And they, they believe that, that in Paul's writings, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.13, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. He is, himself recognizes that the very words he's writing down are not his words, but God's words. He identifies his words with the, with, uh, with the Holy Scriptures, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He believed, Paul believed, his words were God's words. And not just did he believe that about his words, Peter also believed it in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Wisdom that was given to Paul, not his. It was, it was brought about by the Spirit. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Here, Peter is taking Paul's letters and equating them, putting them on the same level as the Old Testament. Testament scriptures. He's saying it's all God's word. There's an authority. Now you could step back from say, okay, well, wait a second, Doug. Now what you're doing is you are arguing for the authority of scripture from scripture. That's a circular argument. How do you expect us to follow along with that? Well, let me just push back a little bit and say, I have to. If I'm claiming this book to be the ultimate authority, then I can't make my appeal from another book. I mean, I could go to extra biblical sources. I could look at different events that happened during that time that are mentioned in Scripture or other events that happened at the time that aren't mentioned in Scripture. And I could make an argument from there from the, for the authority of God. But ultimately, I have to appeal to what is the ultimate authority. I have to do it. You know, Charles Spurgeon is credited when, when giving a defense for the Bible, when, when giving an apologetic for, for the authority of Scripture. He said, how do you defend the Bible? Well, how do you defend a lion? You simply let it out of its cage. Let it out of its cage. Folks, the Bible speaks truth. Oftentimes, we feel the need to add to it, but the Bible speaks truth. Let it out of its cage. Let it out of its cage. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, a simple layman armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. This book has an authority like no other, unmatched. Another reason that we can understand, another thing that we can understand about the authority of scripture is that to accept or to reject God's words is to accept or reject God himself. We see in Isaiah 66 too. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. How we respond to God's word is how we respond to God himself. The way we accept it, we accept God. If we reject God's words, we are rejecting God himself. Finally, we must understand about the authority of scripture is that every word is true. In Hebrews 6, 18, the writer says, it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. In John 17, 17, Jesus prays to God the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, he says, is truth. This is the ultimate source of truth. Every word is God's word. If we receive it or reject it, we receive or reject God, and every word of it is true. Once um, 
a story told about Spurgeon, a great preacher who was traveling, was, was, was in London, and he was given a sermon. And the night before, he goes to uh, the, 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 uh, the hall that he's going to, to preach, and he simply wants to test the acoustics. Remember, this is before amplification was used, and this man had a booming voice, and he could preach to thousands who could hear him. So he wanted to get into the room the night before when nobody else was there and simply test the acoustics. So Spurgeon walks up to the pulpit, he opens his Bible, and he reads, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Now, unbeknownst to Spurgeon, up in the balcony, there was a janitor who was on his knees cleaning the floor. And he heard Spurgeon's voice. And all Spurgeon did was read Scripture. Behold! This man fell to his knees and gave his life to the Lord just based on Scripture. Now, granted, if I was in a hall and somebody thought I was all by myself and all of a sudden I hear, Behold! You know, I probably would fall to my knees as well. All right, But the point is, Scripture alone has power. God's word alone has power and authority. The next thing we learn in verse 16 is that God's word is useful, the usefulness of God's word. This is another reason that Paul says, Timothy, stay in the book. Stay true to the Bible. It is useful. It's practical. It's practical. Many would say, and I've heard it said before, um, sometimes I'm tempted to think this truth as well, that it is the job of the preacher to make God's word relevant. That's the preacher's job, is to stand up here to open God's word and to make it relevant, applicable, practical for the people that are listening to it. What Paul is saying to Timothy is God's word alone is practical. It is practical. It does not need a preacher to interpret. Now, there is obviously uh, use for preaching and explaining and expositing God's word, but by itself, it is practical. And what we see in Scripture, what he mentions here is there's four assets. There's, there's teaching, there's reproof, there's correction, and then there's training for righteousness. Four different things. The one at the beginning, teaching, and the one at the end, training for righteousness. These are things that, that would maybe, maybe push us down the path of righteousness. They would guide us down the path, showing us exactly what God wants from us. They would encourage us to keep the race, to stay in the race, to stay true, and to, to be what God ultimately has in store for us. They push us down the path, but then the two middle ones, reproof and correction, these are things that pull against us, that cut our hearts. And, and what he's saying to Timothy is that when you read the scriptures, there's this dynamic that happens where you are being pushed and you are being pulled. There are things that encourage you, things that convict you. And he's saying all of scripture is useful. Our tendency, I know my tendency, can be to, to, to re resist that pulling. When I get cut by the scripture, why even go there? Like, like maybe not read that verse. I don't like the way he says that. I don't like how that challenges or convicts me. Maybe just leave that one alone. But if we do that, we do ourselves an injustice. We do ourselves a, a massive injustice because all of scripture, he says, is useful and we need all of it. Teaching, he says. The Bible is useful in teaching us how to live according to God's will. It's, it, all of Scripture is useful. Thomas Jefferson is famous for having a Bible. And in his Bible, what he did is he read the New Testament. And as he would read the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus, he wasn't a big fan of the miracles. He did not believe that those things happened. And so what he did, literally got a scissors and was famous for cutting out passages of the Bible that he didn't agree with. He didn't think happened, the miracles. But Jesus' teachings, all the things he said, those are rich. Those are useful. Those are good. And I think if we're honest... 
I know there's probably times in my life where I've done the exact same thing, everything short of picking up the scissors. And oftentimes that's what we can do is we can pick and choose. He's saying every word in Scripture is useful for teaching. It's all useful. Not just the ones that we love, the mercy, the grace, and the hope, but even the sin, the judgment, the hell. All of those things must be taught. And that's one of the reasons why I love this church is because this church is committed to teaching all of Scripture. Not just the parts that make us feel good, the warm, fuzzy verses. I like that verse. It makes me feel good. But even the ones that challenge us, that convict us, there is a pushing and pulling that happens. All of Scripture is to be taught, all of it. In the middle two, reproof and correction. You know, when I was in into junior high, into high school, I had um, went to the dentist, and my teeth were, were jacked up. All right, they're pretty messed up. And so the dentist said, we need to get you to an orthodontist ASAP, get these braces on, then we'll put some retainers on, see how all of that goes. I'm like, okay, sounds like a plan. Anybody who's had braces knows it's not fun. right? You get the braces on your teeth, and once a month, or I don't remember how often it was, but too often, you go in there, and they crank those wires, and they tighten, and I don't know, they get the big wrench out, and there's people pushing on your teeth, and it hurts. It pulls the teeth back into alignment. And then after I had the braces for two years, they gave me a retainer, and the retainer would go in the first night. He's like, put it in at night, just a little bitty guy, put it up in there, and then in the morning, you could take it out. Nobody will even know you got a retainer. Okay, that sounds good. I can do that. So I'll put it in the first night. Everything's fine. Second night, everything's fine. Third night, I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't think I need teeth look straight. Okay, they're pretty good. All right, leave the retainer alone, and then maybe two, three nights, no retainer. Put the retainer back in, and all of a sudden, I wake up the next morning, and there's pain, right? The teeth started to drift, and I didn't like that pain. And so eventually, I just stopped using the retainer, all right? And if you look at me afterwards, and I see you looking at my teeth, I'm going to call you on it, all right? Don't play around. They're not straight. I'm just telling you, all right? But oftentimes, oftentimes, that pain, that, that the scripture can have the same impact. The same result is there's times when it presses against us and it hurts. It, it, it hurts. We see our sin exposed. And I'm telling you, if that's happened to you, it's not fun. It can be painful. But our temptation is one we must not succumb to. We cannot reject God's word and push it away and say, I don't want that. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And if you're sitting here today and you're frustrated in your walk, perhaps you think maybe you aren't where you should be. The, the reality is only one of two things is probably going on. One of two things. Either A, you are not in this book enough. That you are not in this book is either happening or B, you're not saved. That's the other option. That if you are frustrated with your walk, and if you look at your life and you don't think it's anything close to Jesus' life, those are your two options. Either you aren't in the book or you don't have his spirit. Because the reality is, going into the last point, is that his word is sufficient. His word is sufficient. He has given us, some people might think of the demands he places on our life and say, this is what I want for you. This is what you're supposed to look at, look like. Some people might look at that and be discouraged and think, well, how can I do that? But the truth, the glorious truth that we see in scriptures is he gives us everything we need to pull it off. He gives us his spirit. God indwells his people. His spirit, if you are saved, by grace, through faith in Christ alone, if you are saved, his spirit is in you. And he's given you a book. He's given you a book that tells you exactly what's expected of you. 
And if His Spirit is in us, we have His Word in our hand, and we're in His book, then, then there might be seasons where we get stagnant, where we stall out, but we should be able to get back in His book. We've got His Spirit in us. His Word is sufficient for salvation, coming to faith in Christ, and for sanctification, looking daily more and more like Him. His Word is enough. Now, why does the sufficiency of Scripture matter? I'm glad you asked. It matters because it does a couple of things. The first thing it does is it keeps tradition in its place. It keeps tradition in its place. Tradition is of great value, to be sure, and it certainly has its place in understanding God's Word. We should stand fast with great teachers who have come before us and the ancient creeds which are part of our heritage. We should stand fast with them. They're useful. However, everything we believe and claim as truth, we do, do so only as it stands the test to Scripture. And oftentimes what can happen is tradition can creep in and it can assume the place that only Scripture rightfully should have in your life. The way you live your life, the way you do church is the way you've always done it. Tradition from one generation to the next. This is how it should look. So what the great reformers fought against is to put a Scripture back in its rightful place. For years, they got it wrong, and tradition reigned. It keeps tradition in its place. Also, it's important because it reminds us that we cannot add or subtract from it. Revelation 22, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. This warning at the end of the Bible reminds us that we must not add anything to God's word. It is sufficient in and of itself. We should not do anything to make it better, to make it safer, to make it more practical, to make it more palatable. God's word is sufficient. Sufficient. We don't do anything to change it to meet our cultural assumptions and norms. God's word is sufficient. Next thing it's important to remember that it's sufficient is because we can expect the word of God to be relevant to all of life. Affirming the sufficiency of scripture is not to claim that in this book we have everything we need to know. There are questions, there are things that will come into your life, decisions you will have to make. Who do I marry? What school do I go to? Uh, what city do I live in? Which job do I take? That frankly are not mentioned in this book. How do I be a successful businessman? There are truths we can pull out of it that we can apply to help us make a decision, but it doesn't specifically tell us everything we need to know about everything. But it does. What it claims to do is tell us everything we need to know about the things that matter most. The word of a God, the word of God, is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives to the glory of God. He's given us everything we know. Paul reminds Timothy because Timothy needed to be reminded. We all need to be reminded of the place that this book should have in our life. I want to give us three challenges in closing. Um, go outside of 16 and 17 for two of them. The first one is found in verse 14 and 15, where he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Paul now is, is encouraging Timothy to remember who taught him this book. In chapter 1, verse 
5, we have their names. Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mother and grandmother, taught him from when he was a child this book. And, and for us, that to me, that was a great reminder, and it's so true. What he's telling them is, is Timothy, don't drift from the book. Remember who taught you the book. See, we don't know much about Lois and Eunice, but what we do know is that their character, that this probably wasn't just a book that was taught. This was probably a book that was lived out. And he's asking Timothy to remember the character of the very people who taught him the book. And his hope is, if you remember them, you, that will help you from drifting from it. I can't think in my life, see, what Timothy has going for him, what's working to his advantage is that he had adults in his life who were feeding him scripture when he was young who were feeding him scripture, and they weren't just giving it to him. They were most likely living it out. Don't forget from whom you taught it, learned it from, Timothy, that their character is bearing witness to this book. I can remember when I was in college my freshman year, and it was the year that I drifted the most in my faith. I came to the University of Iowa. I didn't get plugged in in a ministry. I didn't intentionally go to church. I really didn't want to have anything to do with it, to be honest with you. God had different plans, but I didn't want anything to do with it. And so I can remember my freshman year doing things I had no business doing based on the way I was raised. I was raised in the scripture. I had my mother and father taught me the scriptures from as little as I can remember. And I can remember that freshman year making choices that I knew I should not be making and thinking in the back of my head, or seeing, I should say, in the back of my head, my sweet mother's face and my dad and his fist and hands saying, Doug, what you doing? Why are you doing that? And you know, I, I'm not playing around. The character in my parents is one of the most instrumental things that kept me from drifting from the book because I knew how devoted they were to their faith, how much they loved and cared for me. I saw them live this in their life and it played a massive role in getting me into church on my own. So parents, teach the book, live the book at home. Let your character bear witness to why your children should live the book as well. Kids, if you have parents who teach this to you, it is to your advantage. And if you don't, be grateful. You're sitting under teaching right now. You're in a church where the word is being taught. Remember who's teaching you God's word. The pastors who come up here, Jeff, Doug, day in, week in and week out, are godly men of character. They're godly men of character, and they love you deeply. Don't forget who's teaching you God's word. Let their character bear witness to the truth it proclaims. And it, it, it should spur us on to remember how important this is. And if we don't have somebody that we're investing in, a younger person to teach that could have this, there's so many people who don't have somebody teaching them this book in their life. It, it, should, it should spur us into action as well. That's one challenge. Another challenge is, is found in the beginning of 16. It says all of Scripture. I just circle the word all in my Bible because I often need to be reminded that, that every word in Scripture is useful. Every word. There's times in my life where I would hang out. When I was in college, I hung out in, in uh, Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, and I had to be reminded. This verse was a great rem, uh, reminder for me that all of Scripture is useful. There is gold to be mined in the prophets, gold to be mined in Psalms, all throughout God's word. It's useful. Get into it. Get into all of it. And the last challenge is, is the same challenge that Paul gives to Timothy. It's found in verse 4, chapter 4, sorry, verses 1 through 2. He says, I charge you in the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, complete patience and teaching. Preach the word, Timothy. That's what he says. Preach the word. Be, re- be reminded first that this book, if you want to be somebody who lives by this book, you must be somebody who lives in this book. And when this book gets into you, the response should be to proclaim it. If this book is genuinely like no other book that's ever been written, and if it's radically transformed and changed your life, we should be ready to share this book with those we love the most. We should, these words should be on our lips. We should be ready to preach God's word. And, and you know, the honesty, the, the truth of the nature is that there's, there's probably lots of us who struggle with this discipline daily. And my challenge would be just put down the facade, stop playing the game, and ask somebody, right? There are elders, there are staff people who would love to share with you resources and ways that can help you get into the book. Start in the Gospel of Mark. I love the Gospel of Mark because it gets right into the ministry and the teachings of Jesus. It's a great place to start. Start, read a psalm a day. Don't be content just reading books about this book. Read this book. And, and for me, it's been something that's been really fun. I remember um, to, to be able to learn and glean from other men, other women who, who are doing it well. My parents, I could see them every morning. When I would wake up in the morning, they would be around the table, Bibles on the table, praying and reading Scripture. And guess what? That's how I do it now. Exact same way. It's the time of day I do it in the morning, reading and praying. Um, learn from men who are steps ahead of you women. I can remember going on a mission trip with Mark and seeing Mark Misnick with his Bible. Hopefully it's okay to share this, but he had a Bible. I don't know if he still's got it. And he had a piece of paper in his Bible. And on the piece of paper, there's all these, I mean, just the smallest writing, little, just little writing, little verses. And I remember just sitting there and for about two or three weeks or two or three days, I sat there and I'd watch him with this book and this piece of paper, writing and reading the paper. And I remember just asking him eventually being like, okay, I didn't know him real well at the time, but just saying, hey, what you got on the paper, Mark? It looks kind of important, you know? And he shared with me that it's a way for him to remember Scripture, to remember verse, verses in Scripture. And he just showed me the paper. I can't tell you how useful it was to learn from somebody else a few steps ahead how they read and get in God's Word. Don't be afraid to ask somebody. It's, it's a conversation that we should have to encourage one another because this is of utmost importance to be in this book. Um, today, later today, I think at three o'clock, maybe my time is off. I'm not totally sure, but we are celebrating in this community one of the literary giants of our nation, Marilyn Robinson, right? Not just a literary giant, but she's also one of the deepest, most profound thinkers that I've ever read or listened to speak. Just listening to her words, it's like I got to play them back five times just to understand what she even said. She's deep, all right? And she's also a, a, a follower of Jesus, a self-identified Calvinist. And I can't think of anybody who has a better platform and who uses it for Christ in a better way. I mean, she is unbelievable. Pulitzer Prize winning author. They're re- she's retiring from the writer's workshop and they're doing a thing at one of the, someplace in the Pentecost. But listen to what she wrote in 2011, Times Magazine. She says, in its emphatic insistence that the burden of meaning is shared in every life, the Bible may only give expression to a truth most of us know intuitively. But as a literary heritage of memory, it has strengthened the deepest impulse of our literature and our civilization. What she says is that the truths that are found in this book are written on our souls from birth. Paul's Timothy, Paul's challenge to Timothy was to proclaim it, was to express it, bring those truths into reality for your neighbor. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you just for um, this truth. Thank you for this book. Um, and just confess that there are times when, um, when it doesn't seem so precious in my life. When my energy and my effort goes to everything else, when it um, should be placed in this book. And I just confess that there's times when that Netflix button is a lot easier to push um, than opening this book, Lord. And I pray that you would help and encourage your people to get in the book. And I pray, Father, that as we do, Lord, that our souls would find delight in your word, delight in your law, Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.